extend a welcome to you this morning. I was thinking as we were discussing the aspect of friendship, I had to think about what uh, was said of the Anabaptists in the Reformation. The words were, oh, how they loved each other. And uh, to think that their friendship was put to the test as they were being tortured for their faith and to reveal who else was uh, a part of the Anabaptist movement and the, the sacrifice that was made for that friendship. Will we face that test someday? I don't know. Only God knows that. But it's a challenge to look back at that test of friendship This morning, the the title of my meditation is Feeling God's Presence. And the springboard or the background for my thoughts are taken from a verse in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 9. And uh, I want to read that verse. 2 Samuel 6, chapter 6, verse 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said... How shall the ark of the Lord come unto me? That verse was in my daily reading, uh, came up. I think it was either, I believe it was last week or perhaps even the week before. I had to scroll back through on my phone to find it for a little bit. But those thoughts were with me as I meditated. And it was, as we think about David and God's relationship, we, we've been talking about him in Sunday school class this quarter, uh, David particularly and, uh, Jonathan and Saul. And uh, I guess what challenged me as I thought about that expression, and David was afraid of the Lord. You know, we don't often think of that aspect in, in David and his relationship with his God, that he was afraid of him. And uh, so I was thinking about that for quite some time, and I, uh, I wasn't exactly sure where the Lord was going to take me with that, <laughs> those thoughts. But uh, as I complicated those thoughts of, of David being afraid of God. You know, think of him as a shepherd boy, and as we look at the Psalms, we look at the closeness of that relationship, the way that relationship grew, and, you know, into an intimate relationship, and a relationship that we sometimes covet and rival after. We think how how close that relationship with God, in his own words and testimony, said, David is a man after God's own heart. And... Uh, you know, so as we as we think of that relationship, I had to. Uh, so then, I, I as I was thinking deeper about that, I thought, you know, this 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 text. What's the chances of this text being in our Sunday school quarter this this time? Two lessons ahead, you're going to be right in right in here. So I backed off of it a little bit, and I thought uh, I won't take away Jason's uh, thunder here, and uh, maybe we do need a double dose of it. I don't know, but uh, the truth of uh, of feeling God's presence and, and the way it impacts our lives is what I'd like to think about this morning, that we are sensitive to God's presence. How real does that seem to you this morning? How real does God's presence seem to you? You know, it, it can be, it can seem more real in a, in a worshipful setting as we have it here today. Uh, sometimes singing, music can, you know, the emotional impact of it can, can uh, make worship and God's presence seem closer to us. And I think that's good. I think that's a part of it. But you know, what about when we're out in the dirt and the grime and the the uh, the, the friendships go sour south, as we sometimes say? How real does God's presence seem then to us? Is God just as real then? God is just as real. 
He's, he's real through every situation in life. So I thought about uh, David here, David's expression, and the setting here. I'll just mention the setting of this here. You know, this is where God, where David wanted to bring back the the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. You know, it had been captured by the Philistines, and uh, it had never been brought back to Jerusalem. And David seemed like a noble thing to do to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to uh, to Jerusalem. And uh, this, of course, is where. Uh, the man was struck dead after the oxen stumbled. But, you know, they were not transporting the ark like God had intended it to. So they were careless in their, in following the uh, protocol that God had established in transporting the ark. And God, uh, another thing that as I read about this, you know, the fact that that ark was in this man's home. Uh, he was a son of the man where this uh, ark had been setting for probably years. You know, and... <laughs> And then all of a sudden they start to move it, and he reaches out to steady that ark, and he's struck dead immediately. And, uh, you know, it, it got David's attention. And uh, near the ark, of course, you realize, is symbolic of God's presence with the children of Israel. And the Philistines, when they captured it, they thought they had God. Can you put God in a box? <laughs> you know, we can't put God in a box. The Philistines thought they could, and, uh, you know, they thought they had God, but they didn't have God. People of the world today might think they have God and, and they've got him where they want him, but you know, God is way bigger than any any conniving that man may ever come up with. And uh, that's a precious truth to realize that God is, is greater than any obstacle, any anything that we're ever going to encounter in life, whatever that may be. So as I thought about David being afraid of God, I thought it's so opposite of what we sometimes think of David and and, and God's relationship. But in a sense, it was it produced a healthy respect. It, re- it produced a, a healthy response. We know that that relationship continued on. David, in his relationship with God, it continued to grow. And there may be times when we fear God, and we ought to always have a reverential fear for God and respect for him. But, you know, it needs to be in a proper context. It needs to be in a proper frame. So I thought about David. I had to think about other incidents that just in passing... If you go back to uh, Genesis, back to the beginning of time, back to Genesis uh, chapter 3, uh, I had to think of Adam and Eve particularly. If you know, the story is familiar to us as, as Bible readers, and in Genesis chapter 3, I like to begin reading at verse 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. Now notice that. And he said, I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Now was that really the reason Adam was afraid? Adam was afraid because they had violated uh, what God had commanded them. So that's another incident we find where, where, where man violates what God intends for him and it produces fear in that relationship. We know up to that point there was nothing but absolute uh, trust, absolute fellowship, and and we that's our heart's desire this morning that in our as we sense the presence of God that we can we can experience fellowship with Him. God desires that with us, but we violate His uh, uh, what He has prescribed, what He has dictated to us. There's a there's a price that is paid. That that fellowship is ruined. And uh, there's another incident I'd like to draw your attention to where uh, 
Jacob, going back further in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 28, almost to the end of Genesis, chapter 28. Uh, well, actually, I guess it's more the middle of the book, really. But Genesis chapter 28, verses 16 and 17. And this is where Jacob was fleeing. And uh, again, it's a familiar account uh, where Jacob was fleeing away from uh, his home and running because of the uh, um, deception that he had used. And looking at verses 16 and 17, and Jacob lay down there for the night on his, on his journey away from his home country. And he's, uh, and in verse 16, as if Jacob awakened out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Notice verse 17. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is not other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, took the stone that he had put for his pillow, and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that place, that city, had been called Luz at that first. Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat, and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillow shall be God's house, and, uh, and all of that shalt thou give me. I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now the impressive thing about that experience is, with Jacob is the fact that he was afraid of God, but he got up and he worshipped God. And uh, I, I like I want to I want to draw that to our attention because I think that needs to be that that should be our response as we as we approach God as we come into His presence. There is reverential fear, but we can worship God as Jacob did here, even though Jacob was not without his faults. His some of his motives for fleeing were were. Uh, very humanistic, <laughs> but uh, you know it's a challenge to think that uh, in that uh, experience with Jacob that he uh, was willing to rise up and to worship God and uh, give honor to Him. <clears throat> where is God's presence this morning? As I think about feeling God's presence, where is God's presence? And uh, thought of the verses in Jeremiah chapter 23. I like the way Jeremiah expresses this in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses uh, 23 and 24. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill the heaven and the earth, saith the Lord. I like that description that Jeremiah uses. He says, am I a God that is at hand? This morning we believe God is here present with us. Do I feel God's presence? Am I conscious of God's presence here today? Am I conscious of God's presence next week when I'm sitting in my truck, truck cab, Gary? Or when I'm sitting in my tractor cab? Or when I'm teaching school? Am I conscious of God's presence? Uh, God is, we believe that God is a God at hand. He's close by. And uh, we're always, verse 24, Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I fill the heaven and the earth? God's presence is 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 everywhere. He's omnipresent. Is what we what we believe. He is everywhere. 
I ask you the question this morning, how do you know that I'm present here this morning? Well, you're visually, most of you are visually looking at me. I've got a form. I'm visually here. You've got ears. You've heard me speak. If I have occasion to shake your hand this morning, you felt my handshake, perhaps. So there's three of your physical senses that you can identify. Yeah, okay, you get home after dinner. You may not remember whether I was here or not, but that's between you and the Lord, I guess. But how do you know I'm here? And as I thought about that concept of identifying God, identifying God's presence, you know, uh, you know, we use our natural senses to identify people's presence. And, uh, you know, is it possible that we should have spiritual senses that we cultivate to know and understand and feel God close by us and to us? I thought of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. <clears throat> you know, he came to to Jesus by night. <clears throat> John chapter 3. I'm going to just read these verses. They're familiar verses, but it's it's so the concept that that and the questions that Nicodemus asked are some that I I could see myself asking if I was there with Jesus that day. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Presence of God. God be with him. Jesus was the flesh. Jesus was the word incarnate. He was there. And Nicodemus understood that. Nicodemus knew that. He was making, giving testimony of that. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice that. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not. How shall we believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that come, he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is, is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And I'll, pardon me, and I'll stop reading there. You know, as we read through those, through those familiar words exchanged between Jesus and Nicodemus, we understand that it's a spiritual dimension that Jesus is talking about. It's, it's spiritual. It's not physical. The physical 
you know, our lives are so physical, and that's the way God intended. He intended us to enjoy the physical dimensions of life. But there's something that's more and deeper, and that's the spiritual dimension. And that's where we come into relationship with God. That's the spiritual dimension. Uh, we need to be born again, and that's the first step I have in understanding uh, the presence of God. The first step is we need to be born again. Uh, it's clear as we look at the uh, experiences here in verses uh, in, first, in John chapter three, verses uh, five through eight. We need to be born again. Um, I thought about the uh, psalmist David, who I thought said it very pointedly uh, in Psalm sixteen, verse eleven. And I'm just going to read those uh, that verse because I think it uh, puts it in such a good perspective. Psalm 16, verse 11. David says it like this. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. What is the path of life this morning? The path of life, we'd say, is from birth to death. That's the path of life. I think that's what David's saying. He says, thou wilt show me the path of life. But I think David's saying more than that. It's not just from birth to the grave. It's beyond the grave. He's saying, because he continues on, he says, in thy presence. So life does not end with the grave this morning. We understand that and we believe that and we embrace that. It goes beyond. He says, as we transition from the physical to the spiritual, as we've uh, lived our lives here physically, there comes a closing day, but then there's a continuation of that. And he says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. And as we think of walking this pathway of life, as he describes it, thou wilt show me the pathway of life. God shows us that pathway. We don't know what all will be uh, experienced in that pathway of life. It, it's different for each of us. But as we walk that pathway of life with the Lord and his presence with us, once we've been born again, that pathway, it, it adds a, a spiritual dimension and a depth to it that cannot be exchanged for anything else we'll ever experience in life, um, in this life and then beyond this life as well. It's not always pleasant. There's difficulties, there's trials, there's tests, etc. And, and we've all experienced parts of that to greater or lesser degree. But you know, I like what David says. He says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Not half joy, not a fraction of joy, but fullness of joy can be experienced in God's presence. And knowing that we are walking the way with God and God is there with us. It's fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Am I walking as I walk the pathway of life? Am I walking... At God's right hand. Do I feel his presence there with me? Do you feel God's presence? The first step in feeling and sensing God's presence is we need to be born again. Just as a, a natural child is born. You know, the, the sensitivity of that natural child. You know, the, you know they, they have a physical body. And, you know, till they have that physical body, they cannot feel. It's a part of the senses that develop. Spiritually, we need to develop that spiritual sensitivity of God's presence. And, and as we, as we, as we cultivate that, it's, it's something I believe is, is something that we need to cultivate daily, regardless of the difficulties we encounter in life. Second thing I want to, uh, the second spiritual sense that I think we need to cultivate is, is the spiritual sense of hearing. And I like to look at some verses in Romans, or a verse in Romans chapter 10. 
<clears throat> so we have the sense of, we have the idea of being born again, and then we have the idea of, uh, of developing spiritual hearing. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God speaks to us through his word. And uh, there are times when people have given testimony that they have seemingly almost audibly heard God's voice speak to them. And I, I certainly do not discount that. I think there are times that if you're so, if God's presence is so real to you, I think it can happen that way. I certainly believe it can. And I don't want to diminish that. But I believe primarily, primarily I believe God speaks to us through through the written word of God. Um, someone has actually done a study. And uh, I, I was a little bit uh, challenged by the, the results of that study. They said that 80% of professing Christians didn't feel confident that they knew how to experience uh, God's presence. They, they've, 80% of the professed Christianity said they, they did not feel comfortable or didn't know how to truly experience God's presence. Now, um, I don't know. Uh, I believe it's a it's a growing relationship, and I I'm not sure what that study how that study was done. I'm not sure what, exactly what to think of that study, but uh, again, that's uh, it's uh, described as uh, professed Christianity. Um, so you know, what's the depth of that or level of that experience uh, would be one thing to consider. But I would certainly hope that for you and I, as children of of, of our heavenly Father, that we would be able to have more confidence in that. I, I know our confidence level probably changes. <laughs> At least it does for me. I'm telling on myself, okay? Our confidence level changes. There's times we experience and we sometimes say, where is God? Where is God in all of this? And, you know, that's okay. But, you know, at the end, we need to come to the conclusion that God was there just the same. It was me that moved. It was me that moved away from the right hand of God in, in that difficulty or in that experience. Uh, you know, God is always there. God is talking about a faithful friend. God is a faithful friend, as we were talking in the Sunday school lesson this morning. And uh, so God speaks to us through his word. And, uh, you know, the other truth as I think of God, as I think of God speaking to us through his word, one of the things that can happen, and it, it, I know I've probably been guilty of this myself, is the fact that we can have the intellectual understanding of the truth of God's word, and we got it up here, we memorized it, we know it, we say it, but you know, uh, it needs to be deeper than that. Our, our, our understanding of God's word needs to be, that's a beginning. It needs to be there. We need to memorize it. We need to have the under, uh, the intellectual uh, concept of the truth of God's word. But you know, the sensitivity of our spirit to that word and, and allowing God to speak to us through, uh, what we have in our minds, in our hearts, is where it's going to develop and, and mature us into a, a true, uh, child of God and, uh, make us sensitive to, sensitive to, to God's presence in our lives, in every circumstance, in every situation. It's also challenged as I, it mentions the idea of faith there. Uh, so then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God, you know, it's it's I like it, it's concise. I like things that are concise. It helps me to understand it and retain it. Uh, you know, long things I I tend to get distracted, and you know, this is so concise. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So simple. Um, 
But one of the things that I was challenged with recently is the fact that, you know, as we have physically natural traits, you know, we can look at different families and say, well, that looks like a Burkholder, that looks like a Miller, that looks like a Nolte, whatever, Harshberger. You know, we, we have physical traits that identify us to a family. Faith is a, is, a, is, a, is a family trait of the child of God. Faith is a family trait. Mark that down. Matter of fact, the scripture tells us in Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please God. If we don't have faith, you know, we're, we just aren't, it's, it's questionable whether we're a child of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's a dimension, it's a characteristic, it's a spiritual characteristic that we need to grow spiritually. And uh, so just as we have physical identifying traits of our family genetics spiritually, faith is an identifying trait of our attachment to the family of God. Being born again, spiritual hearing. Thirdly, as we think of it, of being sensitive to God's, feeling God's presence is, is our eyes of faith. And in Ephesians chapter 1, a few verses here, Ephesians chapter 1, verses, uh, uh, two verses, 18 and 19. Maybe I'll bring in verse 17 here too. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. You know, the example of, of our eyes of faith being enlightened. You know, the world tells us that seeing is believing. That's the world's concept. They say, seeing is believing. You've got to show it to me. Uh, and we sometimes get caught up in that. And I, maybe, I don't know if this story has been recounted before or not. I know our family knows a little bit about it. But I had a man here. I think it was fall a year ago, pulled into our driveway there at the farm, and I just had pulled in, and there was a vehicle came up the road behind me there and pulled in too, and uh, I so I was I was caught. I couldn't get away. He uh, pulled out a gallon jug of stuff, and he was selling some kind of cleaning liquid, and uh, you know I, I'm always leery. I don't usually give them kind of people any time. I, I'm, I, you know, we buy local. We don't. I don't know who this guy was. I don't know where he was from. I think he did have Wisconsin plates on, so it wasn't too far away. But did I tell this story before? Anyway, um, so I, I kind of took pity on him. He looked like he <laughs> he needed a couple bucks, and uh, of course he wanted more than a couple bucks. I think he had a half gallon jug that he was selling of this cleaning fluid, and it was powerful stuff, and it was what I needed, and and. <laughs> I don't know what his starting price was. It a hundred dollars a half jug, heck, half a gallon. I don't remember. And uh, so uh, I, uh, I said, "Well, let me try some." And uh, he, well, no, he first of all walked over to my old pickup there, and there was some rust on the bumper, where the, you know, the bumper's chrome. At least it's partially chrome yet. But he, it was showing a little rust there, and he rubbed it, and you know, it came right off. I was pretty impressed. You know, I was kind of a new truck one, and <laughs> almost. Anyway, uh, so he, he got my interest. And uh, so then, I forget what else he rubbed around on there. It looked nice and shiny. And uh, so uh, after video, I said, no. I said, no, I don't want anything. And then he started throwing some more jugs to him. He said, well, how about some more? 
I don't know what we ended up with, four jugs, and he backed down the price. I think it was $90. I don't, I don't remember the price. It was $90 for four, ga- four and a half gallons. I don't remember. But anyway, I ended up taking it, and it was pretty good stuff. The one thing I was a little bit leery of, I, I did do this. I said, well, because a lot of times they'll use more potent stuff when they're doing the demonstrations. I said, well, let me use a jug that you're not, you know, okay. And so I tried that myself on, on the something there, and, and it worked just as well. So I, I ended up taking the four jugs, and it is actually pretty good stuff. <laughs> I uh, used it over the milk house, but, uh, you know, the world says, I'm saying that to say this, the world says seeing is believing. So there I was. I didn't have much faith in him. I, I wanted to see his product. I wanted to see it work. Seeing is believing. But you know, spiritually, we sometimes take that across into the spiritual world. We say, Lord, you show me. Okay, you show me. But God wants us to, to have eyes of faith. Look beyond that. Uh, God wants us to follow him uh, in, you know, I don't know where that next step's going to be. God is pleased when we follow him in that, to that uh, extent. And uh, God is blessed, God is glorified when we follow him with eyes of faith down the pathway of life. It's not always easy. You know, I could, I had, we could turn to the Old Testament, you know, you think of God, you think of the presence of God, and he sees everything. I only see just a small portion. My eyesight, uh, but may God enlarge our vision with 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 the uh, dimension of eyes of faith as God has them, Lord, we don't understand, we don't know, but we're following you. And uh, I could return to the Old Testament there in Elisha, you know, when he was in uh, in the city there, and and his servants, you know, they they wanted to, they thought they were surrounded, and and he opened their eyes and saw the multitude of of the uh, heavenly host that was surrounding them, and. You know, I think that's the way it is in our experience many times, too. We, we don't fully understand and don't fully see and appreciate the way God has us surrounded with his presence. Eyes of faith. Fourth thing is the dimension of prayer revelations. I thought of these verses. As I think of, of cultivating the, the presence of God, I, I thought of this verse in Revelations chapter 5, verse 8. It reads like this. This is John, the revelator, and as he was... Given that vision, and when he had, uh, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vows full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Uh, I thought of this aspect of of of, of the sense of smile. Um, our prayers are. Do we think of them as as connecting with? the spiritual world, with, with God in his presence. Uh, making a heavenly aroma there is, is the, the picture that I get here from the John the Revelator as he had that vision there. And he said, the prayers of the saints being in a, a, the, their golden vows full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And as I thought about that, I, I kind of let my imagination run somewhat. Uh, you know, when we tell someone that we're praying for them, what happens? Uh, well, I think that's good. We need to give that expression many times, and many of you have expressed that to us. Uh, but, you know, we need to remember to pray for them. We need to remember, and I, I think we, we do many times pray for others. Uh, I thought of the words that uh, James Montgomery wrote. The hymn writer, he says, Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. Prayer, the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. His watchword at the gates of death, he enters heaven with prayer. Prayer is the contrite sinner's voice, 
returning from his ways, while angels in their songs rejoice and cry, Behold, he prays. The saints in prayer appear as one, in word, in deed, in mind, while with the Father and the Son sweet fellowship they find. No prayer is made by man alone, the Holy Spirit pleads, and Jesus on the eternal throne for sinners pardon me, intercedes. You know, as we think of the hymn writer there saying that Christ, the prayer is the Christian's vital breath. You know, think that God is actually listening to us as we pray. He he listens and he blesses and he gives. You know, in the spiritual world, in the spiritual world, prayer is an asset that is invaluable. Um, it brings us into God's presence. You know, as we think of the spiritual aspect of of it being our spiritual breath. I don't know if you've thought about this, but naturally, how long can you hold your breath? Have you ever tried it? (laughs) How long could you hold your breath? I'm told that, uh, you know, 60 seconds is certainly attainable. Uh, Navy SEALs, I'm told, train, and uh, they go for, at times, up to two, three, five minutes holding your breath. I'm not suggesting you do this, children, at least not without checking with your mom and dads for sure. But uh, the record, I'm told, is 20 to 25 minutes. Now, I don't know how that would be accomplished or what you'd feel like after that, but that would be an extremely, extremely long time. Yolanda's frowning, so I know it's not healthy, so don't do it. But uh, I was was told, that was Google that said that was 20, 25 minutes. But, you know, as we think of from a spiritual dimension, how long have we held our breath without praying? You know, I think it's it's challenging as we think of prayer as being our spiritual breath. You know, we need to be praying without ceasing, the scripture tells us. So that means we need to be praying more. We need to be praying without ceasing, without... uh, and I know there's, we need to focus on our, some of our tasks at hand at times, but I believe there's, it's proper and appropriate that we, we communicate with God just as we would another person. We need to share our hearts with Him. Prayer, I believe, will make us conscious of God's presence in a, in a way that, uh, nothing else will. The fifth point that I want to think about as far as being conscious of God's presence is is that uh, our body is 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 actually God's physical body today in a sense as God dwells within us with His Holy Spirit, our responses, our love, our our uh, our sharing, our friendships ought to be mimicking God in everything we do. Christ, uh, Teresa had this familiar. Quote, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, yours are his body. Christ has no body on earth but yours and mine. You know, if people are going to see and feel God's presence, it may be through you and I this morning. And that's a challenge. May God bless us. May God help us to sense His presence in our lives as we 
journey on that pathway of life.